Hey, uh, good morning again. Good to see you guys. Uh, it was pretty cool uh, standing back behind the curtain here, hearing you uh, sing together at the end, and uh, just to know what an incredible God we have, that He would let His Son Jesus go to the cross for us and uh, pay for all of our sins, and then to be able to gather together like this and to explain, proclaim that back to God and to say thank you. That's a cool thing. And uh, wish you could have been up here. I would have messed the dynamics up, but I guess we could take in turns. You know, we could each come up and listen to people sing. Well, um, uh, long before uh, dads were allowed in the uh, delivery room, there was a, a father who was waiting in the waiting room and for the birth of his child. And he was uh, anxious and nervous. And as the time kept passing along, he found himself pacing back and forth and back and forth. And he was growing more anxious to the point where he was beginning to perspire and he he just could hardly stand and then finally the nurse came into the waiting room and said congratulations you're the father of a beautiful little girl he said thank goodness she'll never have to go through the awful agony i've gone through tonight (laughs) Uh, remember when your children were born yeah here's some pictures of uh the birth of both of my boys not the actual birth but you know Go ahead and get the next one there. Yeah, we were a little younger then, weren't we? But my wife is still just as beautiful today as she was then. Yeah, good save, right? So, you know, it is an incredible thing. These children are born and it's an incredible thing to think that we have been trusted with the privilege and the responsibility of caring for them and raising them. And to be honest, parenting is one of those things in my life that I feel like I never live up to my own expectations. In fact, if I'm really honest with you today, I would tell you that since the birth of our oldest son, I have lived with this nagging fear that I will somehow fail as a parent. And I don't think I'm alone. There was a study done in 2006 that showed the level of anxiety and even uh, depression among parents was much higher than adults without children. I, we all have this thing, we, we, we want to do good and we want our children to turn out good. And I guess as Christ followers, most of us would define turning out good as uh, someone, a child that knows God and spends his life honoring God. And we all long for that. And so as we kind of wrap up this iceberg series today, I want to spend some time looking at the last couple of verses that we're going to look at in Colossians chapter 3. And Paul gives us some encouragement, parents, about our role of parenting. So if you brought your Bible, once again, uh, would you open up to Colossians chapter 3, where we've been studying for five weeks now. And I don't know about you, but I have really um, enjoyed just camping out in this one chapter of the Bible. It is filled with so much stuff, and I hope that it has been um, encouraging and challenging uh, to all of you as you have studied it. Now, how many of you remember to take some time this week to read through Colossians chapter 3? Yeah, excellent way to persevere to the very end there, and I hope that has also been encouraging. And you know why I kept encouraging you to do that? Because I want these words not just to be something that you've heard, but to sink deep into your hearts. And I hope that has happened as you've taken time every week to read through Colossians chapter 3. Well, as we look at these last couple of verses, you have to again read these verses 
with the first two verses in mind where Paul said to us, I want you to set your hearts and your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, our lives and our parenting is to be based not on the model we see around us, not on what we've read in the latest parenting journal. Our life and our parenting should be modeled after what God says we're supposed to do. And that's what Paul shares in verses 20 and 21. Very simply, he says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, or this can uh, uh, easily have been translated parents. Parents, love, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, that certainly is not the sum total of everything the Bible has to say about trying to raise our children about how to be good parents. But I think Paul mentions a couple of traps that we sometimes fall into as parents. The first one is the discipline trap. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, parents, we love this verse, don't we? I mean, this is one of our favorite verses in the whole Bible. I can't count how many times this verse has been quoted at our house. You know... If they do something wrong, you've got to listen to me because it says in the Bible, children, obey your parents. I mean, it's like the ultimate reason, right? You know, parents, when we tell our children to do something, we, we try to explain to them the reason for it and we try to logic with them. And then sometimes we get to the point where we just use the Christian version of do it because I said so. And the Christian version is do it because the Bible says children, obey your parents. Now, kids, students, children, Let's be really serious, though. This is a very clear command. Very uh, directed command from God. And He very specifically does say to you, children, obey your parents because that's what pleases God. That's God's model for children to obey their parents. Now, unless your parents are asking you to do something that is sinful or something that is harmful to you, you are to obey them. No exceptions. It doesn't mean that God didn't write here, hey children, obey your parents unless you think what they tell you to do just doesn't make sense to you. Hey, He doesn't say to you, children, obey your parents until you get to the point in life when you think you are smarter than your parents. That happens somewhere. I don't know where that happens. Hey, He doesn't say, uh, you know, children, you don't really have to obey your parents because after all, they're pretty clueless about your life anyway. No, He says... Children, obey your parents. No loopholes, no exceptions. Obey them because that's what pleases God. Now parents, I think this verse also speaks to us. Because as far as I'm concerned, children are not born with the innate ability for obedience. They don't come out of the womb saying, hey, I know everything about how to obey. No, a child has to be trained how to obey. And as parents, we have to model and train them what it means to obey. And I think our children's failure to obey, especially when they're young, has far more to do with our failure to train and model obedience than it does their own rebellion. And so parents, we have to recognize that it is our responsibility to train and to model them for them what obedience looks like. 
I mean, I hear parents say once in a while, oh, I mean, I've said it. <laughs> oh, my kids just don't listen to me. You know, they don't pay attention. They don't do what I say. Maybe that means I need to ask the question, did I train them what obedience looks like? The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 13. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. Do you love your children? And of course we'd all say, well, sure I do. Well then, because you love them, discipline them. Set boundaries for your children. Clearly communicate to your children what those boundaries are. And then hold them accountable for staying within the boundaries. That's what you do when you love your children. Do you realize that often I think um, there is a tendency among parents to give their children choices and freedoms that are beyond their years of age. Picture it like this. Picture a funnel. And at the bottom of the funnel is the youngest ages of your children. And as you move up towards the top of the funnel, you reach that point where your children are ready to leave the nest, to move out. Notice that at the bottom of the tunnel, it's the tightest. Your children have the, should have the least choices and freedoms. Why? Because they're not old enough yet to make those kinds of choices. They're in the process of learning what it means to be obedient. And sometimes what happens is that parents give their children more choices and more freedoms than their age is really ready for. And children become wise in their own eyes. They think they're smarter than they really are. They think they ought to have then those kinds of freedoms. Let me illustrate it this way. Jason, who is four years old, comes into the kitchen for breakfast. His mom has poured him a, some orange juice in a red cup. Jason says, Mom, I want the blue cup. My mom thinks, well, that's no big deal, and takes out the blue cup and pours the orange juice into it and hands it to him. He sees that it's orange juice and says, I don't want orange juice today. I would rather have grape juice. And she thinks that's no big deal, so she drinks the orange juice and pours him some grape juice and hands it to him. Then she has some toast ready, and she starts to butter the toast. And he says, I don't want butter on my toast today. I want peanut butter. And again, she thinks no big deal. She sets that aside, pulls out another piece of toast, and puts peanut butter on it and hands it to him, and he eats. He gets down from the table and goes off to play. And when she has finished cleaning up the kitchen, she goes in and says, let's read a book. Here, why don't you sit on my lap? And he says, no, I don't want to sit on your lap. I want to sit over here. And so she says, thanks, no big deal. I'll let you sit over here. Then she pulls out a book and says, let's read this book. And he says, no, I don't want to read that book, Mom. I want to read this book. And so she thinks, no big deal, puts that book back, pulls the other one off the shelf and reads it. Now, the rest of the morning goes along very smoothly, and she thinks, this, is a, this has been a great morning. We're getting along so well today until it's almost lunchtime, and she goes into where he's playing and says, I want to just warn you, in a few minutes we're going to have lunch, so you need to start picking up your toys soon. And he goes into a tantrum. He says, I don't want to eat lunch now. I want to keep on playing. And she says, no, we're going to have lunch now. And he, he throws a fit. And she thinks, what happened? Where did my calm little boy go from this morning? Oh, do you know what happened? All morning, she communicated to him that he had choices and freedoms. And so he began to expect that he got to choose, that he had the freedom to decide when they would do certain things and what exactly they would do. 
And so when it came time for lunch and she said, we're doing it now, he didn't want to and he threw a fit because suddenly he felt like his choice had been taken away. Now that's a microscopic example and simple illustration of what we're talking about. And some of those choices you may think, well, that's really not a big deal. And those may not be, but you get the principle. When we begin to give our children more freedoms and choices than their age is ready for, they begin to think they're wise. And they expect that they will have freedom and choice about everything. And when they're not given it, they don't understand. And so as parents, we need to be careful that we only give them choices and freedoms that their age is ready for. And that as they grow older, the amount of choices and freedoms increase until we move towards that point when we are ready to set them free. Or at least they're ready to be set free, whether we're ready for that or not. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. What's going on in my heart? Parents, we've got to model and teach for them discipline. Do you realize that we, as we discipline our children, we model God for them? What they see in us, they grow to understand about the Heavenly Father that they can't see. And so parents, we need to model for them in our lives that if God is the leader of our life, that we obey Him immediately. Not after the sixth time that God says it, or after God counts to three. But when God says, do it, we hear it and we obey. Now, I realize this whole thing of disciplining your children, this is a huge subject, and I'm just touching on a couple of things here. And maybe you're thinking as a parent, boy, Jeff, I need a whole lot more than that because I'm really struggling. Let me give you a couple of resources that I would highly recommend about discipline. We could, we could go on for weeks, a whole series of messages just about discipline. One is a book called Childwise by Gary Ezzo, and I would recommend um, that book to you. I don't agree with absolutely everything he says in the book, but most of his principles are very solid. And the second book I'd recommend is a book called Confident Parenting by Jim Burns. And so if you want to jot those down, they'll leave those on the screen for just a second. And if you want to jot those down, buy them on Amazon and all those regular places that you would buy books. There's a second trap that I uh, think we deal with. And that second trap is the exasperation trap. Paul says here, fathers or parents, do not embitter your children. In a parallel verse in Ephesians 6.4, he says don't exasperate your children. In other words, don't frustrate them to the point of discouragement or even bitterness or anger. And so I want to share with you a list that I came up with this week, a list of things that I think our children might say to us, especially as they grow into those teenage years, a list of things that our children might say to us, Dad and Mom, these are things that exasperate us. One is lack of consistency. There needs to be consistency in the boundaries that we set for our children. If the boundaries are always moving, that is so frustrating. And so we need to clearly set the boundaries. And and that means parents, both parents need to be on the same page about what those boundaries are and what the consequences are going to be when the boundaries get stepped outside of. Children are looking for consistency. And as long, you know, in most cases, as long as kids know that this is the consistent boundary, they do much better at staying in. But when the boundary keeps moving, that's frustrating. And they finally will get to the point they just ignore the boundaries completely. Now, here's another thing about consistency with boundaries. It means that we need to model consistency in our lives. It's very frustrating to them if they have a parent who says to them, you know what, you need to be careful about your language. 
but they hear you use inappropriate language. Or if you say to your kids, you know what, it's really important to others that you be on time, but you're always running late. Or you say to your kids, you know what, telling the truth is really important, but they hear you being deceptive with other people. We've got to model consistency in our own actions, and a lack of that exasperates or frustrates our children. The second thing that I think uh, exasperates them is a lack of understanding. Our lack of understanding of the world that they're living in. You know, I have realized at times with my boys that I ask them to do things or I say things to them, and later when I stop and think about it, I realize, you know what? When I was their age, living in their world, I probably would have thought and responded the same way that they did. And so by that, I have demonstrated a lack of understanding for the world that they live in. I think this also is a reality that we're unfamiliar with the world that our students are living in today. Uh, have you seen the movie Freaky Friday? It's one of my movies that would be on my maybe, you know, like top 50 list of movies that I think are pretty funny and enjoyable. You know, it's where some weird spell happens and uh, the mom and the daughter, they switch bodies in a sense. And so for several days... The daughter has to live in the mother's world and the mother has to live in the daughter's world. And by the end of this time, their eyes are suddenly wide open to the fact that their worlds are very different. And by the way, students, you know what? This cuts both ways. Just as much as your parents need to understand your world, you need to work to understand the world that they live in as a side note. But you know what, parents? Sometimes it would be good if somehow we could like switch bodies for a few days and we could grow to really understand the world that our students and children live in. There would be some things we'd discover that probably would freak us out. But we might do better at helping them navigate if we worked harder at trying to understand their world so that we could help them figure out the best way to honor God in the world that they live in. Here's another thing that I think frustrates our children. It is comparison. Your daughter is not your son. Your second born is not your firstborn. Your son is not the neighbor's boy. And we have this tendency as parents sometimes, maybe without realizing it, sometimes innocently, that we do this comparison thing. You know what? The way one child learns is not the way the next child will learn. The way that one child communicates is not the way that the next child will communicate. What one is interested in and excels in will not be the thing that the next one is interested in or excels in. In fact, remember last week when we were talking about husbands and wives, we talked about love languages that we all have a love language that we hear and speak in. And the same is true for our kids. And probably every one of your children has a different love language or love languages that they hear love in and they speak love in. And as a parent, we need to make sure when we're trying to communicate love to them that we're speaking their love language. Otherwise, there's a communication breakdown. So parents, we need to you know, work at knowing what those are and then communicating in their love language regularly, often, so that they never have to wonder whether or not you love them. Here's another thing I think frustrates them. It is favoritism. Whether it is real or perceived, when parents act like they favor one over the other, that is very disheartening to our children. Now you know what, parents, in most cases, in most cases we do not do that intentionally. And because all of us, if, we, if I ask you today, about your children, you would tell me that you love them equally. And I know that I do. But I also know from experience that it is possible as parents, sometimes without even being aware of it, 
that we begin to show favoritism because maybe one is interested in something that we're also interested in, something that we really enjoy, and so we find ourselves spending more and more time hanging out with them, doing the thing that they're interested in, and without realizing it, we unintentionally maybe begin to ignore other children in our family. So there needs to be that balance and being careful about that. I have intentionally stayed away from a lot of personal examples today, but I will tell you this because it reflects on me. I think that I was guilty of this probably at times very unintentionally, and my wife is so wise and would at times tell me, be careful. Uh, In the early years, uh, earlier years, uh, my oldest son is very interested in sports, and early on, my youngest son had no interest. And I love athletics. And so I would find myself spending time with my oldest son because we were either participating or watching sports together and I wasn't spending as much time with my youngest son. And Peg would very wisely say, you need to be careful because unintentionally you're acting like you favor one over the other. And I don't know what it might be in your family, but just be careful. Step back and take a look at that big picture. Now, the end of that story, by the way, is that uh, I hope not because of my influence, but my youngest son now loves sports, so he gets equal attention. So, Here's another thing that I think uh, exasperates them or frustrates them, and that is hovering parents, we'll call it. When parents sort of hover over our kids, kind of a controlling type thing, where we, and you know what parents, we need to communicate to them, what the boundaries are, and then step back and, and let them go at times. And I think this is especially an issue as your children move into those teenage years and they move towards leaving the nest. And again, I'll, I'll tell on myself, this is my current struggle. This is a huge struggle for me. And I feel like um, I am failing more days than I am succeeding at not being a hovering parent and stepping back and allowing the process of leaving the nest to take place. And uh, I just would share with you that parents, you know, we can uh, dishearten them, we disappoint them, we frustrate them when we don't allow them to naturally go through that process. That was the point of having them, you know. The point of having children was that we would raise them to know God and someday we would let go. But I'll just say right now, for me, the letting go is a whole lot harder than I would have ever thought. One more thing, uh, two more things, uh, is lack of discipline frustrates our children. Believe it or not, children actually desire boundaries. There is a sense of security and well-being that happens in a home where there are guidelines and boundaries. In fact, a study was done a number of years ago that demonstrated that children who came from homes where there was strong discipline, clear boundaries, their self-esteem and their level of achievement in school was decidedly higher than students that came from homes where there was a lack of discipline. One more thing, and that is nagging exasperates our children. You know what, parents? We, as they especially grow older into their late elementary and middle school years, there are times when we need to communicate to them the expectations, let them know what the consequences are going to be, and then we need to step back and let them either succeed or fail without nagging them all the time. Because you know what? Otherwise, they never learn that there are consequences, whether they are consequences that you impose or consequences that come as a result of their failed action. If we're always 
pushing them along and saying, did you get that done? Did you get this done? Did you do this? We never let them fail naturally and discover the fact that, you know what, there are consequences when I fail to do what I'm expected to do. The Bible says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. Parents, isn't that the goal? To lead our children to know Jesus. And I love that picture from the message there. Take them by the hand. It's not a pushing. You know, it's not dragging them along. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. That's the goal. Is that ultimately our children would know Jesus and they would pursue Him on their own. Now you know what? I know parenting is, is it's difficult. I wish we got a whole lot more training before the kids ever came along. You know, I wish there was a, a manual that God would have printed about here are the exact things to do in every instance. And at times, it can be disheartening, can't it? A little discouraging, sometimes frustrating. I want to encourage you this morning that we are common strugglers in this, but it is worth it. It is worth all of the energy, all of the effort, because God is the one who has placed you in this role. Now, I want to show you a clip from a movie, the movie Letters to God. And uh, the story of Letters to God is both uh, difficult to watch in a, in a sense, and yet it is so uh, encouraging. In this particular clip, it's an interchange between Tyler, who has cancer, and his mom. I want you to listen especially to what Tyler says to his mom at the end of this clip. Mom, do you think that Mrs. Baker's baby was born to replace me? Sweetie, why in the world would you think something like that? Well, Alex told me that as she took his sister told her that somebody dies, somebody's born to replace them. Tyler, I don't really think it worked that way. But Ashton, your sister, is 13. Oh, she's 13. Well, <laughs> well, with all due respect to Ashley Turner's sister, only God knows for sure how these things work. Well, if Ashley's sister is right, I would want Mrs. Baker's baby to replace me. He's very cute. Nobody could replace you. Mom? Hmm? You know that guy picked you. What? Yeah. He picked you to be my mom. Parents, I want you to know this morning, God picked you to be the parent of your child. And the next time you stand in front of the mirror and it's been difficult, you feel a little discouraged, you're struggling, remind yourself, God picked me to be a parent, to be the parent of this child. And you ask God to help you to be the best parent you can. I want to wrap up this whole series by saying this. 
You know what Paul's bottom line message in all of this is? Is that it all starts with a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything he's talked about, that thread has woven through everything. It's about walking with Jesus. And so today I would encourage you, if you're here this morning and you have never taken that step in your life to make Jesus your Savior and the leader of your life, if you've never acknowledged your sin and your need for a Savior, then I'd encourage you, before you leave this place today, I'll be down here in the front when we wrap things up. I would love to talk with you, pray with you, and help point you in the direction of having a personal relationship with Jesus. It is the thing that gives all of us hope. And it is the strength that helps us with so many things in life. God, thank You for loving us. Thank You that You are the perfect Heavenly Father. God, sometimes uh, we are not the perfect parents. But God, You are always perfect. Help us to follow Your example. Help us, God, every day to make the choice to set our hearts and our minds on the things above, including our life as parents. God, would You help us to remember that You picked us to be parents. God, You have given us that love. Help us to live it to the best of our ability. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.